Welcome to Same Surgeon, Different Life, part of the STS Surgical Hot Topics podcast. This series focuses on demystifying cardiothoracic surgery and presenting the remarkable backstories of surgeons from a variety of backgrounds and in various career stages that have led them to become the face of CT surgery. I'm Dr. David Tom Cook, and in each episode, Dr. Tom Varghese and I will get to know more about our colleagues, the obstacles, the success stories, trade-offs, and pivotal moments that have shaped their careers as well as their personal missions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. The program will return after a message from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Dr. Ara Vaporjan. I'm so excited to share news about the new STS Cardiothoracic Surgery eBook. It is the most complete and authoritative online resource of cardiothoracic surgical information available anywhere in the world, and it was authored and edited by the specialty's leading experts. This ebook provides a rich multimedia educational experience that includes regularly updated content in both cardiac and general thoracic surgery. So no more waiting for the textbook publishers to issue a new version every few years. We use the ebook in my training program and the residents love the high quality illustrations, photos, and surgical videos. The new ebook is available online or through a mobile app so that it's available in the office, at home, or at any point of care 24-7. To see a sample and learn more about the STS Cardiothoracic Surgery ebook, go to sts.org slash ebook. In 1989, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality to describe how race, class, gender, and other individual characteristics intersect with one another and overlap. It helps to describe how people from different backgrounds encounter the world. The lived experiences of those at the intersections will thus invariably differ from those trying to overcome one barrier in their lives and careers. The term is one worth remembering as we engage with our next amazing guest on Same Surgeon, Different Light, Dr. Arania Provenza. Dr. Provenza is a professor of surgery in the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery at Baylor College of Medicine and is nationally and internationally known as an expert in aortic surgery. Her journey is simply awe-inspiring. A graduate of the Medical School of Athens, Greece, her quest to achieve the best in surgical training led her to pursue several training opportunities in the U.S., as well as advanced degrees in both medicine and business administration. Over the decades, she has helped lead advances in aortic surgery and has received accolades as both a clinician and educator, including honors such as the Houston Business Journal Healthcare Hero, the Baylor College of Medicine Star Faculty Award for Excellence in Patient Care, the Norton Rose Fulbright Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching, and the Fulbright and Jaworski Award for Development of Enduring Educational Material. She is regularly called upon to lead aortic surgical symposium across the globe. The amazing thing about Rania is that she actively gives back to our profession, serving as a mentor for many junior faculty. She is one of the most graceful human beings I know, whose work ethic, dedication, and commitment to her patients and students serves as an exemplar to us all. Join us as we interview Dr. Rania Provenza on today's episode of Same Surgeon, Different Light. Hello, loyal listeners. Thank you for joining us. I have the incredible pleasure to introduce to all of you uh, the awe-inspiring Dr. Rania Provenza uh, from ba Baylor uh, Medical College. Uh, Rania, thank you for joining us today on today's episode. 
Uh, thank you, Tom. It's really um, a great honor and uh, really a pleasure to um, be part of this uh, podcast and also uh, join the other people that you have interviewed in the past. I mean, it's, I'm really humbled and um, it's a great honor. No, you're, you're being very, very kind. Um, uh, for our listeners, uh, Dr. Provenza has accomplished a tremendous amount and I'm hoping you'll enjoy this episode as we're going to really deep dive and explore her journey to being uh, one of the leading aortic surgical specialists uh, in the world. Uh, Dr. Provenza, let's start back in your uh, native land. Uh, you grew up in Greece, correct? Yeah, I grew up in um, in Greece, in, um, in Athens, and uh, um, my parents actually were the uh, World War II generation. They were very uh, wonderful people, uh, well-educated, and really wanted, and their first priority was for their kids to be um, very well-educated and uh, encourage them to excel uh, all along. Um, now, your, your father was a judge and your mom was an educator and teacher. Um, were there other doctors in the family or were you the first one? No, I was actually the first one. And um, that's, uh, it's funny that you're saying that because my, uh, my dad wanted for me to go to law school. And, <laughs> of course he did. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and he wanted actually all the kids, one of the kids to go to law school. And none of us went to law school. My brother was um, an engineer and uh, my sister was an engineer that uh, lately, uh, later went to Wall Street. But uh, And then I went to medical school. So none of us um, be, uh, went to law school. I mean, we just considered that was too easy for us at the time. And uh, <laughs> I mean, medical school for me was sounded challenging and quite competitive. So um, here we are. Yeah, and so, uh, so, so of course, uh, you, you turned away from a career in law, but you went into medical school, as you correctly pointed out, you were at the medical school at Athens. And then at what point did you make the decision that you wanted to come to the United States? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, my thought was always to go um, to Europe and just uh, spend a few years there uh, outside of Greece and then uh, go back home. And then while I was in medical school was this uh, rumor that, uh, oh my God, the training in the U.S. is amazing, and, but is extremely challenging and uh, very, very competitive. So the reality is that um, the reason that I came to the U.S. was quite simple. I mean, I wanted to make my life... Uh, more uh, challenging and I think maybe a little more complicating. So um, a bit I didn't know any, <laughs> exactly. Great. I didn't know, I, I didn't know anybody here. I mean, uh, but it just was another continent, uh, was quite far from home. Um, I considered that staying in Europe could be like too easy. So I just wanted to make it uh, really more challenging. <laughs> That's, <laughs> I, I, I have to laugh. And, and for our listeners, in this next part, I'm going to sh outline for you evidence of how Dr. Provence's uh, really grit and resilience and determination um, really persevered throughout her path. So here, here it goes. This is what Dr. Provence did. So when she came to the United States, and correct me if I, if I make any missteps along the way, Rania, but you came to the U.S., and you started as a prelim surgical resident at Mount Sinai Hospital. And then it's just one after the other. I mean, you did a burn surgery fellowship at Cook County Hospital, general surgery residency at Providence Hospital in Michigan, 
surgical critical care fellowship at the Mayo Clinic, and then ultimately a cardiothoracic surgery residency at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx. Is that correct? Uh, yes, quite. <laughs> yes, I moved. Wow. I mean, it's I, just... <laughs> I moved quite a bit, but it was, um, I have to say, it was an amazing, um, it was an amazing journey, and um, I couldn't uh, change, uh, change a thing. I mean, uh, definitely was, um, my family helped a lot, especially in the beginning. Um, my family was not here, but um, I used to call them almost um, uh, daily. Um, I remember, like, especially as a resident in the beginning at um, at Sinai in New York, uh, my first few months I was reading an HMP, uh, and I couldn't understand a thing. Everything was just, you know, abbreviations, uh, CAD, CHF, uh, HD, uh, HTN. So I could, like... I had no clue. It was just a nightmare. Um, I was quite, actually, very, very so, so close the for, to... So the foreign uh, language wasn't English. The foreign language was this medicalese terms that people just... I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was also the foreign... You know, I mean, I was able to speak the language. I mean, it was not, of course, it's not my native uh, language, but uh, it's, it's quite common in Greece people to learn and speak uh, two, three languages in addition to uh, their native language. So as kids, we learn, you know, we learn like um, English, French, uh, German, anything that, you know, at least was available to us. Uh, but... You know, so language, of course, is you know, is an issue. It's not your native language, but all these abbreviations, oh my God, was really a nightmare. So you have to add to this the, all the challenges that you just moved to a foreign country. So it just was <laughs> everything piles up. I remember um, I used to call my dad. My dad had uh, a say uh, to us that um, uh, you lose. Um, you lose money, you lose nothing, but uh, if you lose your uh, courage, uh, then you lose everything. And I think this is really what um, kept me going. And uh, he used to tell me this almost every time that he used to call him. So um, it really was um, extremely important to me how, uh, at least morally, they helped me um, uh, keep going uh, all along. Uh, and, it, and it was your father's, uh, it was a health concern in your father that ultimately actually um, influenced your path into CT surgery as well. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, my God. That was, uh, uh, that was during my first year of uh, surgical residency. Uh, my dad had um, an open heart. Uh, actually, he had an aortic valve replacement. And uh, every single complication that is written on a medical textbook, he had it from something simple to like AFib to cardiac arrest in the unit that they had to open his chest and uh, get him back to the OR, uh, to the cardiac massage, to the ICU psychosis, to a third degree burn, you know, with a bovi electrocautery, to vagotomy pyloroplasty for a GI bleed. So everything that you can think about um, was, and sometimes you're amazed how, how somebody can survive that or all that, and he made it. So I was very, very much influenced by that early on. And then uh, during my third year of uh, surgical residency, I wanted to do um, an elective and make sure, because it was at the time, I was, a CT was an elective. It was not a mandatory rotation during the surgical training. So uh, 
I asked to do CT and uh, I just loved it. And the rest is uh, history. Well, I would say that you also then did something that was very unconventional at the time, which actually now has become quite popular because you actually were one of the first trainees that after your cardiothoracic surgery residency, then you did this very unique um, uh, novel endovascular surgery and peripheral vascular surgery fellowship at the Arizona Heart Center. And at that time, that was actually one of the first centers in the world that was even offering that type of advanced training. What was the thought process when you went to embark on this kind of novel training, really getting the endovascular wire skills? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. At the time, I remember was uh, when we were finishing, like in the beginning of 2000, the market in uh, cardiothoracic surgery was not the greatest. Um, and um, I remember I was uh, at the TechCon conference at the STS, and was um, uh, Alain Cribier was at the time was the first cardiologist that he did the uh, percutaneous aortic valve. And he was one of the invited speakers on the STS-ATS uh, TechCon conference. And the second invited speaker at the time was uh, Ted Dietrich. So both of them, they start talking about wires, catheters, and uh, what the future is going to be. And I was sitting at the back there of the room, and um, I was just fascinated by the whole story and uh, by this um, two surgeons that they've been just leaders on the field and uh, definitely uh, 10 and uh, 20 years ahead of themselves. Actually, one was a cardiologist and the other one was a cardiac surgeon, but I was really fascinating, uh, fascinated by that. So I just decided and um, I went to Arizona and I talked to Ted Dietrich and I told him that I wanted to do it. And uh, I remember that he said to me at the time, okay, we'll let you know we have a lot of applicants. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, look, I'm not really leaving this room unless that you tell me that in a um, in few months I'm coming here and I'm starting the year with you. And wow. he said, oh, we, can, we cannot tell you this now. I mean, we have a lot of applicants. I said, I know that you do have a lot of applicants, but <laughs> I want to do this. And I'm not going anywhere. I came all the way from New York, you know, uh, to see you and see how the training is. And um, then he said, okay, oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> come in, and I remember that uh, my other two um, fellows at the time were um, uh, two other vascular surgeons. One was from Mass General, and the other one was from uh, New Orleans. So uh, we had a great team at the time. It was, uh, it was a great year. I learned a lot. I was exposed to a lot of uh, new things. And uh, it's great to work with people that they really think and act outside of the box. It's a lot of things for you to learn. That, that's That's incredible. And and obviously, not surprisingly, your next step in this journey then is um, you joined uh, the academic practice at uh, the Baylor College of Medicine, but you actually started right at the entry level. I mean, you went from a clinical instructor to assistant professor, associate professor, and obviously now a full professor with tenure in the Department of Surgery. Um, explain that journey. I mean, because... I'm sure along the way, there must have been some pause point where you're like, wow, I have done so much more training and spent so much more years than the average person next to me. But somehow you were just determined 
uh, I, I mean, where does that drive come from? Is it still back from the family or was it just something in you, you just said that you could envision what you were going to do in the future and you just relentlessly march towards that vision? I think it's just you have to, um, you know, there is a lot of up and downs uh, uh, along the way, but I think the most important of, it's not really the downs, but it's how many times you get up and you keep going. And uh, uh, when I came here, it's true that um, I was uh, the outsider. Um, I was not one of the uh, inbred people, but uh, I think um, it was uh, was also true that um, if you uh, work hard and uh, you pay your dues and um, uh, you really uh, perform well, then... Um, reward would happen and uh, I think this is what it happens. One of the things that I have to say is that um, especially as I was moving up um, I met with some another female um, uh, physician here that she was really uh, she was a psychiatrist and she was professor and the top of her field and she really uh, helped me a lot and uh, she looked my CV, she talked to me she suggested a lot of um, quite of some really um, uh, tips and tricks to me in a way um, and uh, really helped me to how to get promoted and uh, specific pathways and requirements that I needed to uh, to move up. And I think um, uh, really I owe a lot of her to her. Well, I, you know, I, for our listeners, I, you know, Rania is really... Uh, the gold standard for all of us. Um, and I'll give you some pointed examples because I want to ask you about how you were able to do this. You know, most of us in academic surgery, um, you know, either, you know, do good clinical work or we do good research uh, or we're a good educator and potentially we're a couple combinations of those. But you also then extended beyond that because I would say, honestly, you were a tremendous citizen to the local community. Because uh, here are a couple of examples uh, from yours. I mean, your career. I mean, in May of 2018, you were recognized by the Houston Business Journal uh, as a healthcare hero, as amongst their list, uh, a list of uh, outstanding uh, healthcare pr practitioners. Um, you know, you've gone and served in committees like the Blood Conservation Committee. Um, at, at your local center, you're a member of the quality improvement. You know, you have this unique track record, not only being one of the world's leading aortic surgeons, but you're, you're a productive member of that community. Where did that come from? Is that more reflection of you realized how hard this journey was and in your appreciation you reached out or was that intentional as well? I think it's, uh, you know, you start a journey and then uh, you learn along the, along the way and you really love what you do. And I think when you love what you do, it's really everything else um, comes into play and uh, uh, it just, you keep going. And uh, I think uh, it's not really, um, when you do what you love and that's your passion, then uh, I think everything becomes um, uh, too easy. In a way, I remember when I was... Um, I finished an MBA and I did it uh, like uh, three years ago, 2017-18 at Brandeis and I never stopped working. We've been clinically too busy and uh, I was also uh, trying to produce uh, clinical research and uh, I was doing this MBA at night and uh, uh, during the um, weekends 
and uh, I took all my holidays to uh, go for a few weeks in Boston. Uh, so it's really, basically, you just keep going. You love, you love to serve. You love to do. You love to help other people. I mean, that's that's extremely important because I think it's not about you succeed. It's about you create a foundation as well as you become a role model for other people to succeed. And I think that's extremely important for everything that we do. Uh, uh, Ronnie, you have to excuse me for laughing because for most human beings, any portion of your career would be a wildly successful career. Uh, I mean, and so, I mean, is it like you don't sleep? I mean, you, you don't. I mean, it's, I, no, no, I, I like to sleep. I like actually, I like to sleep. I mean, if I'll be able not to get up like at six o'clock in the morning, that's is a wonderful morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wonderful morning. But I do think, I mean, um, surgery is a great field. I mean, cardiac surgery is an amazing and evolving field. I think all of us, we love what we do. This is why we do it. I mean, I don't think that anybody told us that we have to do that. Uh, nobody in my family was a doctor. I mean, it was um, really, if I was not going to medicine, I think things could have been too much easier in a way. But um, I loved it, and uh, I love heart surgery. I mean, you have the heart, the heart is beating. You go on bypass, the heart stops, and then you fix the problem, and uh, the starts, you know, the heart is better afterwards. I mean, it just is amazing. I mean, it just um, is an amazing, amazing field. They think um, uh, it's important for the students to be um, exposed to that and for the younger people uh, to see how wonderful the field is. I, and uh, I, I'm glad that you kind of mentioned the importance of teaching and how you're, you're passionate about education, because um, again, for our listeners to show you the example uh, that Dr. Provenza has set, you know, she received two Norton Rose Fulbright Excellence Faculty Awards for teaching and education from the Baylor School of Medicine, the most recent of which was in 2018. I mean, she's a nationally and internationally sought after for teaching uh, aortic courses around the world. Um, I guess the question really comes is, uh, I love how you've been able to use your perspectives and your journey to give back. If you're a student who's interested in coming into this field now, what, what pearls of advice do you give to that student? I think is that um, just uh, keep moving, um, be honest, humbled. Try to stand on your feet, and uh, there's no way that you cannot face anything. I mean, um, cardiothoracic surgery is a wonderful uh, field and uh, uh, is really um, with amazing opportunities and challenges. Uh, don't give up. Just follow your dreams and uh, keep going. And uh, please do not forget, along the way, as you're moving up, you have to help others. I mean, that's a key. I mean... If you ask me what is my my best professional accomplishment, I can say the fact that actually I'm teaching the newer generation. I mean, to get a phone call on a Saturday afternoon from a gradu from a graduating resident and tell you, oh my God, I have a type one day section coming. Can we go through the steps? And then you go through these steps, and the next day they call you and they say, My God, thank you. 
that was amazing. Thank you so much. The patient is doing well. I mean, this feeling and this phone call, it's nothing that it can be compared with. So I think at least for us, and I think for all of us, that um, we, we are in academia or we are with young people or with, we are with you know, other partners, I think um, this is what is worth about. I mean, it just is amazing. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, yet as another example of how you've given back, um, the first publication uh, that came from, it was then a task force under the SDS for the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, uh, is now an officially a workforce. Um, and you were one of the co-authors on that. Uh, describe to me, um, if you're looking at the field of cardiothoracic surgery, what do you think are some good things we're doing and where are there some challenges or opportunities for us to improve in, in, in our world? Yes, um, I mean, I think that um, the, um, this was a great initiative and um, because really um, encourage you know, all this, uh, the diversity and inclusion, because at least in my mind, diversity and inclusion means excellence. And I strongly believe that. Uh, I strongly believe this because it really cultivates a culture that encourages collaboration, flexibility, fairness, um, where you members are getting respected, valued, and welcome. And I think um, by creating this task force, that I think Dr. Prager at the time, and then with the other leaders, Dr. Nanheim and uh, Doug Matheson. And of course, under the leadership of uh, David Cook, I think uh, this um, uh, workforce really um, is great. Uh, has many um, uh, well-accomplished uh, individuals and um, with diverse perspective and experiences. And uh, I think it's great for our society. I mean, there's no question that, uh, Tom, you know, I came, I mean, I'm a female. I had an accent and I was a foreigner and uh, I joined uh, and I wanted to become a surgeon. Uh, the things were not easy. And I can just guarantee you that and how the trajectory could be a little different if this, all these things were not, in, uh, were not there, I don't know. Uh, but there's no question that most likely the things could have been much, much easier. Uh, but the thing is that uh, as a society, uh, I think we have seen that, and um, I think the, uh, so, uh, the STS is really committing to eliminating barriers that really prevent uh, the participation of underrepresented groups. And I think this is important. It's really, I think, committed to uh, fair treatment, uh, various opportunities, and professional advancement for all the diverse membership because this is how we're going to develop the future leaders, uh, because we really need to treat also a diverse population. So we have to be very flexible. Uh, it, it, it's so great to hear you say that. Um, in, in the final moments that we have, um, any thoughts about what, what we have to keep in mind to keep improving? Or what areas should we not ever relax on to ensure that we, we achieve all the goals we hope to achieve? I think we have, I mean, uh, 
we have to encourage collaboration. I mean, the way that I see it is that if you are successful, then I'm successful. And if we join forces, then our voice is much, much louder. And uh, your success is my success. And in a way, my success can become your success. And uh, by really helping each other, we can go so much farther. There's no question in my mind. And um, this is really what I think all along. And um, I really, that's, that's my goal. That's my vision. Uh, the pie is not like just the pie. The pie can become much larger as long as we want to become larger. And uh, this is when uh, people become happy. It's amazing. Well, um, on behalf of all our incredible listeners, uh, Dr. Provenza, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking the time to connect today on Same Surgeon, Different Light. No, thank you. It's an incredible honor. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for doing it. This has been Same Surgeon, Different Light, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and let your friends, trainees, and colleagues know about it. On social media, you can use the hashtag, the face of CT surgery. More information about the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is available online at sts.org.